Okay, welcome to uh, another of our sporadic uh, and occasional on further reflections with Norm Allen. Uh, I've been thinking about the sort of the context in which we're living at the moment and the fear and the anxiety and anger that seems to be part of our whole cultural experience. And I wanted to have a conversation with two people with whom I do have regular conversation uh, who are close to me. Uh, Ken Dirksen is uh, close to me because he's my neighbor. He's two or three doors down the road. Uh, he's also my doctor. And I think he was a friend of mine before uh, he became my doctor. He had actually was on a retreat uh, with a touchstone uh, ragamuffin group many years ago. And uh, so we, we not only have to deal with my, uh, my abstemious lifestyle, but we also have to deal with uh, health questions, but also uh, we share our journey in Christ together. Ken uh, has had some experience in study at Regent in addition to his medical practice. Uh, he is a father, a grandfather, uh, he's a senior, I guess you're the chairman of the board of one of the larger churches in our area. Used to be. You're on the board. Yeah. And uh, so he's got leadership responsibilities in a whole series of areas. Uh, Heidi Allen is, uh, has had the misfortune for several decades to be my daughter. And... Um, in spite of uh, the normal father-daughter stuff, uh, we actually get along pretty well, and I learned a lot from her. Uh, she's a grad of Western in music, a grad at Regent in uh, theological studies, and uh, has also a degree now in, in uh, psychotherapy, and so she has her own psychotherapy practice. And um, she, she also is married and a, and a mother and... Uh, has kids in school and dealing with all the normal things uh, people deal with in our culture. And so it's, it's an interesting, uh, we all are hearing different things. Heidi in her uh, psychotherapy practice, Ken in his medical practice, and me in the, in the sort of uh, alleged work that I do. Uh, we're having a lot of conversations and hearing a lot of things behind what we see in the media. And so I just thought it'd be a helpful thing for us to have a conversation and the kind of working title that I have is sowing seeds of peace uh, in this angry anxious and uh, in some ways grieving time in our culture and so I'm going to open with a with a prayer from uh, Padraig Otuma uh, who does a lot of work on reconciliation and forgiveness in Northern Ireland um, and does a lot of retreats and a lot of other work, but is basically in the context of all of the history of violence and thousands of people being killed, he has been a person of reconciliation. And I think it might set the tone for what uh, we want to say. And so it's a, called a collect. And the prayer goes this way, God of watching, whose gaze I doubt and rally against both, but in which I take refuge despite my limited vision. Shelter me today against the flooding nature of my own focus and help me find a calm kind of standing. And when I falter, which is likely, give me the courage and the kindness to begin again with hope and coping. For you are the one whose watchfulness is steady. Amen. God of silence, who watches our growth and our decay, who watches tsunamis and summer holidays, who cares for the widow, the orphan, the banker, the terrorist, the student, the politician, the poet, the freedom fighter. We pray to be nurtured in our own silences. We pray that we might find in those silences truth, compassion, fatigue, and hearing, because you, you, you see all and are often silent. And we need to hope that you are not inattentive to our needs, amen. God of darkness, you must be the God of darkness because if you are not, whom else can we turn to? Turn to us now, turn to us, turn your face to us because it is dark here and we are in need. We are people in need. We can barely remember our own truth and if you too have forgotten, then we are without a hope of a map. Turn to us now, turn to us, turn to your face to us because you turn toward us in the body of incarnation, you turn toward us, amen. 
And so we are, we're coming here as needy people, not as experts, not as people who are going to argue cases, but we are also in the midst of something that, that uh, is an expression of our experience of Jesus, uh, our understanding of our faith, and how this uh, affects how we engage the world. And so I'm going to invite Ken and Heidi to just kind of reflect on what they're hearing uh, in this difficult time uh, in their two different practices. And it may be, you know, you can take turns or you can start and one will take, pick up from the other. We'll just see where it goes. But what are the things that we're hearing and seeing, you know, not only in your professional role, but as parents, as grandparents, as people who are leaders in the community, what are the things that you're hearing and seeing that we're dealing with today? Heidi, why don't you go ahead? You go ahead, take it away. Well, no, I guess it's not a surprise that there's waves, there's waves of anxiety, you know, and I was seeing earlier in the year, tremendous anxiety in certain uh, subsections of age groups. You know, the, the 13, 14 year olds were super anxious and the 20 to 23 year olds were super anxious. They were anxious for different reasons, but of late, of course, the, um, the controversy about vaccines, about whether we should have them, vaccine passport, has created a tremendous amount of anxiety for a variety of reasons uh, that you know, most of us know about. Um, so, so Ken, would you say that, that, that the, the idea of the vaccination was sort of the great hope, right? It was gonna solve all our problems. It's turned into actually an exacerbating ingredient, would you say? Well, absolutely. A year ago, if we would have this conversation, we wouldn't be having this conversation about mistrust of a vaccine or anger about how the government was implying or, uh, um, you know, uh, rolling it out. Uh, absolutely. So continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Continue on your view. Yeah, the, uh, you know, and I guess, um, well, the, when I kind of think about it, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is that this is a real first world problem. Uh, you know, if you had a group of Christians uh, on a Zoom call in India, they wouldn't be having this conversation about what we're having. Uh, they would be maybe angry that the government hadn't procured enough vaccines or that the distribution wasn't equitable, but that's not the issue here. Uh, it is really this, um, this bigger picture of mistrust and anger and suspicion that has pervaded the, this whole conversation. The, um, yeah, that's where I'd start off. Okay. Heidi, what do you, what's your sort of overview of the, the temperature as you hear it in the community and in your practice? Uh, well, certainly uh, it's sort of two ends of the spectrum. There's very little sort of in the middle, I can take it or leave it, don't have an opinion. <laughs> so socially, um, community-wise, there's great polarization happening between people who might use might have used to be quite friendly. Um, and I'm not even sure that it's that obvious yet because we're still not back full on doing everything the same way that we might have before in groups. Um, Certainly a chunk of people have returned to gathering and things like that. And then there are others that are still, I don't know if I really should go to that birthday party with 60 people. Um, and, and I really think there's a lot of talking amongst those two groups, but not a lot of talking between the groups. So there's a ton of talk in whatever group I happen to be in, which is what's wrong with those people? Why do they think that way? I can't even fathom why they're doing this or why they're not doing this. And I am imagining that the dialogue on the other side is probably the same. Um, certainly in my work, I'm seeing that on a household level um, in between members of the same family having great difficulty working out uh, the outcome of what they should do, whether it's, is it safe to do this or is it not safe? 
should I get a vaccine? Should I not get a vaccine? Um, you know, and, and that's, I'm seeing that as an issue for sure. So yeah, that's a start anyways. If you were, if both of you from the point of view of trying to understand the basis for um, the polarity, why has it had to be polarized as opposed to just two different opinions about something? Well, I'll take a, I'll take a shot at that one because that's a hard one. Uh, and I wish I could say I've got the definite answer, but I certainly, I certainly don't. But I've tried to think of an analogy in history where we had a certain type of thing, even from the Bible, you know, like the controversy of in, in the early church of, of whether you should eat meat sacrificed to idols or you should not. But this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit because you either have the vaccine or you don't. It's not like you can be say, well, I can have an opinion about the vaccine, you have to actually take it. And once you have it, you, you cross the line into this little land called double vaccination and a passport. So it's very, it's not quite the same. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to really, I mean, I must declare my bias and I'll declare it right up. I am doubly vaccinated and I really am very thankful for the vaccine. I'm thankful for the, how the government has rolled it out. We can talk about that as well, but that's my bias and I'll admit it. But when I try to understand my friends who take a very different opinion, um, I've got to be, I got to recognize that there is always an element of truth in what they say. And there is a general mistrust of, uh, of government because we have seen governments at all levels uh, uh, say things that were for political advantage there's been a mistrust of big pharma. There has been a mistrust of public health officials who on live mics have said things about the government that they wish they had not said. Um, and and it's, it's trickled down into the medical profession that, that um, there is a, a, a growing mistrust of, of the medical profession and what we say. Um, and so I think that's the, we, that's the, the understanding surface that that we brought into it and there's an element of truth in everything what about you Heidi what do you think the the reasoning behind the polarity is like you think it's what Ken's saying it's just either you have it or you don't or there's other things going on and why why it's become so politicized and angry uh, well, you know whether yeah. it's masks or whatever it is I think because in making a choice um, it can be seen as uh, your choice affects other people. And so it's not just like you're free to have your opinion and I'm free to have mine. Your opinion and your actions affect me. And um, there is a just sort of flabber uh, flabbergastment <laughs> of I don't understand how we've gone from what we thought was a societal idea of the common good to there is no real common good. And especially amongst people who call, who are people of faith, um, don't seem to take that into account. So your decision to be vaccinated affects me. Uh, my decision to be vaccinated affects you or to be not vaccinated. And, and it could be a life or death effect. So I it, do, I it is, yeah, you're just not free to just sort of have a dialogue. Be, and, and all there's a whole other layer, layer of the emotional buttons that it starts to push. And then you can't use your brain anymore when your emotions are running hot, so. I, I, I jump in there, Heidi. I totally think you're, you, you've hit the nail on the head. But with vaccinations, we've never had, other than maybe the flu shot, but really not so much. We haven't had a vaccine, which has created this, I'm going to affect somebody else. So if you don't have a tetanus shot, you might die of tetanus, but it's, it's your problem, right? If you don't get your child immunized for measles, that child might have measles, but it's your family that's affected. It's not everybody else in their school. And so this is a particularly unique situation. We don't have a lot of models for it. 
And I agree with you that uh, now it's, it's a sense of I'm doing something not only for myself, because maybe I'm 20 years old and the statistics say I can survive COVID, but you're doing it actually for a societal benefit for my brother's keeper, if I could borrow an Old Testament thing. So it's a it's not a, an example that we have a lot of, or it's not a story we have a lot of examples for. And it, you alluded to the sort of the faith context. Um, do, you, do you think it's worse within community of faith in terms of the polarization uh, sides, or it's, it's just reflective of society? Well, I'll just tell you, I think it's the same in both the community of faith and the community which would maybe not identify themselves as having faith. In my practice, I see the, the spectrum and I see the anxiety spread right across. So I, I don't think it's particularly a, a faith issue. I think it's spread right across equally. Yeah, I think that the only difference really is the faith community is um, good at beating each other with scripture and adding that extra layer to the debate that other communities maybe are not doing. Yeah. So it, it has an extra layer of damage. Like in, in this whole context, um, where do you both think uh, the idea of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself? Um, how does that affect how we perhaps should see each other and might be able to converse with each other. I mean, where does the, where does the incarnate Jesus who's living in you and living in me and living in our communities going ahead of us into the brokenness of the world, where does that fit with all of this? You know, I mean, it's, we, we can't just like saying a bunch of Bible verses doesn't help. Like I, I had to do a, a, a funeral not too long ago and, and, um, you know, it's always the, the John 14 passage, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house are many rooms, etc. And, you know, the point I wanted to make to the people at the time who were grieving was Jesus didn't say those words sort of as Christian wiffle dust to put over people. That was in the context of him having washed their feet, had given a piece of bread to Judas who was going to betray him, told Peter he was going to betray him, told them that he, they needed to love each other. And then he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. While and meanwhile, they're all about to go out to, you know, to his trial arrest and crucifixion and their, their, their turmoil was going to continue forever. And so like, so where does the spiritual power guidance affect us in how we treat each other within the context of these kinds of things? Well, let's start off with that. that. That was, you're now getting to some of the hard stuff here, Norm. We had the easy stuff first. Um, <laughs> and you kind of warmed us up here. Um, I, I, when I was trying to answer that question for myself, I, I, I was just trying to look at scripture, look at some of the teaching of Jesus, some of the, the apostolic writings. And, and I would I say it clearly over and over and over again, there is not an option for us not to handle this with humility and kindness and gentleness. There, there is no, there's no biblical injunction for us to be uh, harsh and uh, polemic. Uh, so I think that's a start that whatever we do, we, we must handle this situation with humility and and for me that i can only express my opinions here because of my biases but i've got to be humble in my conversation and as heidi said i hope we have a conversation because the problem is we're not having the conversation that, that's one of the biggest we're not sitting down with each other and we're saying let me listen to what your concerns are and um but from my point of view, the humility that I need to express is that when I express a scientific truth, it is a, it's the knowledge I have at this moment of an incomplete science. And I'm expressing myself as to what I think is the best for you as somebody I really care for. Right. Um, 
I may in six months realize that my advice wasn't actually completely accurate. So I need to be humble in this. Um, so that would be the first thing. I need to respect people who will, for reasons I don't know, maybe it's an experience because it, it, it's often what we experience rather than what we know in our head. Uh, you know, grandfather died after certain things and therefore I've been scarred by it. And you can give me all the statistics in the world and it's not going to convince me because I love my grandfather. So it's an experiential and I have to respect that. Um, so I would start off from my point of view, my uh, is humility and respect for the people I'm talking to. You're Sorry. Muted, huh? Um I might add to that, Ken, that that is one of the only ways that I can um, start to step into the shoes of somebody I have a disagreement with. It doesn't matter what the top, like insert the topic, um, but to start to see the other person as coming at the issue with um, you say experience, right? And you're, you would describe them making a, um, a decision from emotion, from a place of emotion. And, and you can't talk to the emotional part of someone's brain with facts and um, you know thoughts. You have to talk to them on the level of emotion. And I think what's happening is both ways one doesn't matter who it is one person has an emotional experience and the other tries to convince the other why they shouldn't be having their emotions or why they're not valid or whatever and the same goes the other way but when you start to be able to meet someone on the level of their emotion then you can start to the brain like they, they actually see this on mris the brain actually calms down Somehow I don't I I don't know how to explain it medically, but it calms itself down, and then you can start to talk. So you can either probably see examples biblically of Jesus talking to people on a level where uh, he's not convincing them of theological facts. He's talking to them on the level of uh, personhood and emotion and past traumatic experiences and all of those things. Um, and, you know, we can do that. It, it's how I go, okay, maybe this is an explanation for what's happening, for why they're so upset. What is going on? There's got to be fear or hurt under there. They've got to, um, you know, have that deep fear and experience of uh, just having their world turned upside down and being out of control or whatever it is. So that's the first mental, like it's sort of almost an ex, a personal interior exercise you do before you can maybe enter into a discussion. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be helpful to have a panel discussion or a town hall meeting or something in a church or something, because people would just, you wonder why those meetings go wrong is because people start yelling and screaming and they're not thinking anymore. So like you, you mentioned the interior processing. Um, I had a, you know, I have, as Heidi knows very well, I can be pretty uh, black and white. You know, there's one of my favorite books. Is, it's, it's basically got a cover that has half black and half white. It says, I am right and you are wrong. And uh, it's by uh, uh, a, a consultant who it was, it's actually quite funny in, in terms of dealing with it. But in terms of internal journeys ourselves so i i was I, I have to face a conversation with somebody who i anticipate is going to be very different than me about and it may have nothing to do with the pandemic it may be about something else and how do i gear myself so that i'm prepared to listen and we can have an exchange of ideas uh and we don't have one of us doesn't actually have to be right or wrong we could both be right or we could both be wrong and it'll all be proven sometime else but it's like within the context of the tribe i was raised in there was right ways of thinking about a lot of things which didn't leave room for okay 
I'm going to discipline myself and not impose my agenda on somebody else. I'm just going to listen and maybe I'll accept them for who they are. And uh, so I, I don't know whether the cultural framework allows it. Like I've, I've had to do some stuff. Like there's a particular politician in our country who, when I listen to them speak, uh, my head wants to explode. And I've had to make a commitment to Susan that I, in my prayers in the morning, I'm trying to think about him in a different way and say, he's my neighbor. He's not a, and it's not a polite word that I use when I sometimes get mad at him, but he's my neighbor and he's a Canadian and he's how do, and so it's like, I don't know whether you guys struggle with that stuff, but to me, it's like, how do I get, create a predisposition in myself to be a peacemaker, to, speak strongly about issues but not necessarily have to win the fight or win the argument i want to win the brother you know or the sister i want to be i still want to be friends with the person when it's all over i, I does any of that make any sense for you you struggle with that, that sort of thing oh all the time all the time and and i think we have to be careful you know which hat are we wearing if, if you are a hospital administrator or the HR director of a large corporation, you've got to make some fairly hard calls right now. And that we're, I don't think we're talking about that. Right. We're, we're not talking about the legal aspects of it. We're talking about relational stuff. And uh, I think that, you know, I'd be interested to hear the, the two of you talk about how we as people of faith can encourage people towards, towards that ultimate faith where we don't have to take control of everything. And, and I see a lot of uh, how to use the word control that in an increasingly complex world where the amount of information being sent to us through the internet, through social media is becoming overwhelming. Our ability to kind of make sense of that and take control is, is overwhelming. And that's creating incredible anxiety. 30 years ago, you went to your doctor, uh, you listened to what he or she said, and you probably felt good about it. Those days are over. And so how do we as people of faith say, hey, I don't want to put my faith only in, A, the vaccine on one side, because I put my faith only in vaccinations, or B, my own ability to control my destiny by my decisions, which is a terrible way to live. How do we kind of kind of get beyond both of those positions where I put my faith in Christ and I make wise decisions based on reasonable information, trusting that if it's wrong, I'm still good because God is good. I'll give you an example. Prime Minister Trudeau got the AstraZeneca vaccine, okay? He got it and he did it as an example to us all. My wife got the AstraZeneca vaccine. And now we look back and say, it probably wasn't the best, but it was the best at the time. And I think we just need to understand whether we're trying to take control of our lives. And it's a, it's, 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 I think it's one of the biggest sources of anxiety, but I'm interested to hear Heidi. I, 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 I want to pick up on something Heidi said that complements what you're saying, I think, because part of it is, is that our whole society has become so individualistic. Um, so the idea that we work in community, so that we have a community of faith. We actually have a, a whole pile of people who all believe what they believe, and then they all walk sort of, you know, it's the old, uh, whoever the counselor said, they, he walked alone, she walked alone, and they walked alone together. And how do we find a way to walk in community, even when there's conflict? Because every, every good relationship, friendship, marriage, community has conflict. And how do we, how do we deal with that? But so, so Heidi, can you move on from where Ken went? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that control thing, the thing that went through my mind when you were talking was how angry people are when um, the medical professional people come out and say, we think at this point, this is the best course of action. So at one point they were saying, just get whatever vaccine is available, please just get it and whatever. And at that time, it seemed like reasonable, at least to some of us, it seemed like reasonable advice. Um, it didn't matter what brand, just go and take 
whatever is available because the more people that just get it now, the more we can slow this down, all of that. And you could see people become very, even people who are willing to be vaccinated then went needed to control what brand did I get? And that, that's just sort of what went through my mind of there's so much that's out of our control. We just want to grab onto the one thing that we can choose or even though they're telling us not to. And I, I, I think we have a false sense that we're in charge of a lot all the time. And it could possibly be a sort of North American Western civilization, if that even exists anymore, type of thing because we go about our um, day choosing so many things and being in control of this and, you know, um, I'll go here and then I'm going to do this and then I'm whatever. And I think we haven't been faced as a society with anything difficult for a really long time in most people's memory. Even Second World War isn't in the awareness of most people who are still alive and in control of anything today. So uh, for me, I feel like the controlling behavior is just anxiety. Like you said, it's just what all I can, it's what I'm doing to try and calm myself down to try and feel like everything isn't terrible, but at the same time, um, there is a faith element that I don't, I, I don't know if it's my personality or whatever, but I do, I am also able to go, this is the best choice we're making at the time. And now that they've come out and said different advice about vaccines, I'm not angry at them because I, I actually feel like they are doing their best. I don't think the government and the healthcare system is actually diabolical or capable enough to organize some kind of secret thing. I don't think they have that skill or time or energy or fund. But I kind of go, I'm okay if they're not exactly right right now. I'm doing, I'm just, I'm going to go with it. I'm okay because I know that they're all humans trying to do stuff too. And so uh, the, the faith element is faith in common sense, science, all of that stuff too. But there isn't also like, and you know what, if, if, if this is wrong, I do actually have a faith that somehow God is still sovereign, uh, you know, knows me, what's going on with me, but also with everybody else. It's not just me. So, and the other thing that came to my mind uh, somewhere along the way when you were talking is that I have to continue to remind myself that whoever I'm talking to, uh, they're equally loved, created, cherished by God as me, even if we disagree. In that person is made in God's image for a purpose, not by accident. So I don't get to treat them badly. Even if I think that that would make me feel better. It's interesting, um, you use the term faith in, um, and I think one of the things that frustrates me at the moment is trust the science is something people say all the time, rather than saying the best science exploration right now is that here's the advice, the best people thinking about it have but the reality is to me and it would be silly for an english major to be defining science but my understanding is and ken you can you can rebuke me where i'm completely incorrect but the at core of science is questioning everything and doing the best they can to figure out what it is right now but okay that's our best decision today but tomorrow we've just found out something else and science isn't some immutable set of principles that says, here's the safe way to go. It's, and it's, it's so reflective today of kind of the way I was raised is have faith in these following uh, immutable principles of God, as opposed to have faith in Jesus, as opposed to have faith in the God. But it, it's, so it's an interesting uh, thing that, you know, I think Heidi, you mentioned it, is that sense we want security to say, okay, somebody spoke some scientific word but any scientist worth their salt is going to say, 
well, this is the best guess I've had today with all the training we've got, and we're still going to keep asking more questions. Like uh, years ago, a friend of mine, I was having breakfast with him, and he was the head of cancer care in one of the provinces uh, out west. And I said, you know, how do you as a scientist, you know, deal with all the questions people ask about uh, creation and science and all that jazz? And he says, there is no conflict between any my experience of God and my work in science. All I'm doing every day is just going, I wonder what God's up to here. And so he said, I do my exploring, I'm learning, I'm discovering, and I'm always learning something new and something I thought was right today turns out only to be partially right. And so it's, it's like we want these principles of faith that give us security and there, none of them do that for us. Like somewhere along the line, we've got to, we've got to have some faith in the divine hand uh, behind it all. But uh, let's pardon me for that little tirade. But Ken, uh, do you agree with my perspective? Well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree that it is a, it's a movable bit of information that we have. Um, and that's where the humility of a, a scientist needs to be very humble uh, because they could be proved wrong. We could be proved wrong. Um, I'm not calling myself a scientist by any means, but um, the um, yeah, it, it's just it, the discussion is, is helpful because I, I'm trying to think of, of this individualism as well that Heidi talked about where, you know, really other than obeying the rules of the road, that's 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 for the common good. The other kind of big picture item where what I do may affect the global family would be the ecology movement, you know, where, where I recycle and I don't throw things into the, that shouldn't be in the wrong place because, not because it's going to affect me or even my children, but maybe a hundred years from now, the whole world will be a better place, but it's not immediate. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't affect who I'm going to invite for Thanksgiving dinner. It, it doesn't, it doesn't affect who, I'm, you know, whether I sit beside somebody at church or not, or, or, you know, it, it's, this is, we, by the way, we are all available for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> we'll go through that as long as you wear a mask, <laughs> but you know, this, we haven't had practice uh, being kind of a global community very well. The, um, no comments other than I agree with you, Norm. Um, look, can we sort of come around to the end in terms of, and I think we've alluded to it, and I think Heidi articulated it well in the sense of, regardless of what's going on, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are each God's creatures, that we are all, we all have God's identity in us. And that somehow, and especially, you know, if you know if somebody uh, is in a faith community, then we really believe that we're in the presence of Jesus when we're in the presence of another person, and that should certainly. And you know, obviously, I can be very difficult to deal with, and so for me, one of the big disciplines is is learning to just keep listening to that that person as a human being made in the image of God. I am, I am made in the image of God. We both are. We're flawed, but we are, we're in this together, regardless of at core, some, some things that we uh, don't agree on. But ultimately, loving one another becomes a fairly high priority. And, and I don't know how we implement that without, first of all, disciplining ourselves in our own meditation time and our prayer time and how we view the world. Uh, what are the practices that you find helpful for yourselves in that kind of thing? Or is that an unfair question? Well, no, it's a very fair question. It's just a hard question. It's, it's uh, you know, I'm trying to think very practically as, as a, um, you know, on a governing board in a local church, um, you know, I'm trying to understand principles that are, are bigger than the immediate issue. And the, you know, the principles that I would go is that we must be committed to worshiping Jesus. And I will sacrifice my opinions 
for the sake of that unity. I will wear a mask six months longer than I need to because I want everyone to be there collectively worshiping Jesus. Um, I still have a responsibility to keep everyone safe so that we're not harming others. And so we're going to, it's a tightrope. It's a, it's a, uh, it's on one hand, keeping people safe because I love them and I have a responsibility for them at the same time, not exclude my brother because he or she feels somewhat different. Uh, so it's, it's a tightrope and, and, but I, I'm, I'm willing to do it. Um, one of the conversations I had with somebody I work with sort of, um, was about going into sessions with clients who, when we're talking about this specific issue, who are, you know, differently opinioned than mine. And, um, what I found is every time I don't have the or, or um, Ken, you don't have the luxury of meeting with people for an hour like I do. You only have your 10 minutes or however long they need. And, um, and I don't think it's probably the same for you, but I get a whole hour with a client. And when, before I meet a client, I'll read their intake form and, I, and it, you form opinions right away or you form, you get a sense of like, ooh, uh, this feels scary to me or I don't know what to do or oh, I think I can handle this or, or this person seems strange or, you know, whatever you, you prejudge. And I try though, what I've noticed is as soon as I start to meet them and I start to get to know them and the more I hear their story, the way it works in my work is I don't tell them about me, but they tell me about them. So they get a whole hour to tell me all about themselves and whatever's going on. And I have yet really to come across somebody that I just continue to dislike or don't trust or whatever, because the more they tell me about their life and their story, the more that I can figure out an, a way for me to get in to what it must be like to be them. And so I trust that process now more. I, I go, well, this intake sheet seems, I, I don't know what to make of this. But I know when I meet them, something changes. And so I've had a number now of clients who are not vaccinated for various reasons. And sometimes that's the topic and sometimes it's not. But I've been able to understand why in every case. I don't have to agree with it, but I can see why they would be scared. And I can validate the fear even. I can say, it makes sense to me that this is scary for you. I get it. That must have been hard. And so when you can talk to somebody like that, I'm, I, I, and it's not my job to change their mind and it's not in my scope of practice to <laughs> advise whether they should or shouldn't take a medical procedure, but I can, um, I feel like if there was a time where they were to say, help me think this through, then I could do that without feeling like I had to make them take a particular point of view or not. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the more that you listen to someone's story, if they give you that privilege, the more you can at least understand. Now, how we do that on a group level, I don't know. Because I think that's the, maybe the problem is we're separated into groups rather than people who are talking to people. Um, there are still people out there who aren't my clients who I think I have no idea how we would start this conversation. But I guess all I would do is say, help me understand. Yeah. Oh, okay. That must have been hard. Hmm. I can see how that makes sense for you. So I don't know. That's a well. I think that you, you've you've really made a good point, Heidi. That six months to a year from now, this might be over. And as people within the faith community, we're still going to be there. So what have, seeds have we sown now to build that trust that 
because this is a model for conflict in the future. You know, th this will not be the last conflict within the body of Christ or within a society. There's more to come. And how we do it will, I think, plant seeds of trust that will help us in the future. And when this is done and another one comes along, we'll have that relationship. I don't want to break relationship because I disagree with somebody. I want to build that trust, which is kind of what you're, you're saying. And it's one of the things that, you know, in a sense, why I wanted to have this conversation and why we want to put it out as uh, one of our little, little uh, propaganda pieces in Touchstone is that, uh, to me, some of it does begin in us tempering how we talk about whatever's going on amongst ourselves. So we, when I start to be a bit ignorant about how I describe somebody, Susan will say, I don't think that's helpful. Well, that's actually a very helpful thing for her to do. And I think I see it in my, you know, in our touchstone community, we've got a lot of diversity and it's very easy for one of those funny joke things to come out. Suddenly everybody's got it in their email and it's, you know, and it's disrespectful to somebody or whatever it is. And, I, and it's trying to create an atmosphere where we can, can actually care for each other as sisters and brothers in Christ while recognizing there is a huge diversity of not only opinion, but experience and pain and joy and sorrow um, that, you know, for me, uh, my insecurities are enormous. Everybody else's are. And I, for me to somehow accept that that becomes very, very important. And you come back to Jesus saying, love God with everything you've got. So if I'm somehow spending time before the father uh in his warmth in spite of who i am and jesus says follow me out into the world to love your neighbor it has to have an effect on how i view the world and how i view people and how i talk about people i won't say oh you're one of those uh, i will say more to heidi's point oh help me understand why you're thinking that way now that isn't my natural predisposition <laughs> so anyway um, so do you each have maybe a last comment or two, and then um, we'll sort of wrap this up. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, it's not an easy thing. There are no easy answers, but I, I really believe that at least in our little circle of a few hundred people in Touchstone, uh, there are things we can do to reduce the temperature even amongst ourselves uh, that then that may in fact be at least a little bit of salt or light uh, in our part of the world and maybe even ameliorate some family breakups or whatever the like you know because we're all feeling it we've all got friends and family who are at odds with us about these things and so trying to find ways to plant seeds of peace in the middle of it becomes more important so any last thoughts from either or both of you well just, just i'm reminded of, of the uh uh Apostle Paul in Colossians, Colossians 3 saying, you know, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And, uh, patience takes time. Uh, the willingness to dialogue, the willingness to uh, sit down with someone. And uh, to bring back to something we started with is that um, we're not talking to each other. And love, I think, uh, demands that we, we take that time. Patience, gentleness, um, let, let's let's uh, engage people because we love them. And we don't have to engage everybody. We don't have time for that. But there will be one or two people in our lives that probably this week we need to engage in, in that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you quote the Apostle Paul. I have been reading a lot of Anne Lamott, <laughs> who uh, is somebody who gets enraged about a lot of justice type issues and she she constantly um, writes about her struggle kind of that's part of her writing is her struggle with things that don't feel just and right but she always has a very um, a view of herself that is in proportion to everything else she um, I don't know how to describe that her view of herself is is humble and her and her her desire to understand people she disagrees with um comes from that and she talks a lot about basically you you pray and you breathe 
because that's what you've got to do in order to, um, you know, live in a world where there's people doing things that just don't make sense to you. And then she's like, uh, she sort of talks about basically you do kind things for people and you take care of the poor. And I just one foot in front of the other. And that's her way of coping with the world that feels overwhelming, with a world that feels too hard and with people that feel awful. And she, she basically sort of says like, I make God want to drink gin out of the dog bowl. So who am I to judge somebody else? Um, and I sort of feel like that's if we took a more humble position, like you're saying, Ken, um, then we might be ripe for a dialogue or for a conversation, but not before that. Um, so. Yeah, loving people who come across our paths is sort of a phrase that we often use in Touchland. I'm reminded when you were talking, Heidi, about a, a character in one of Lamont's books, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was a novel, not one of her uh, personal writings. And the character is talking to her rector and saying, I wish God would stop being so hard to dis discover and understand. I wish he would just write in lightning, I exist and here's what you're supposed to do. And then I wouldn't have all these doubts and my friends wouldn't have doubts, we could have faith. And the rector quietly listened to her for a while and then said, well, you know, the opposite of faith is not doubt, the opposite of faith is certainty. The quest for certainty gets in the way of us having faith. And so I think that's part of the challenge that we have is that, you know, I'm certain about certain things, <laughs> less, and, less and less in number as I've gotten older. But uh, the biggest thing is, is that I believe that faith in God and trust in him somehow uh, does direct us to do the things that you all are talking about in terms of compassion and kindness and, and justice and mercy. And so thank you for taking the time to do this. I'm going to close with that little Benedictine blessing that I mentioned um, to you, and uh, and then we will uh, we will be done. And so it it actually gets to some of the things uh, that we've been talking about. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. And the blessing of God, the Supreme Majesty and our creator, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, who is our brother and savior and the Holy Spirit, our advocate and guide be with you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.